So hello everybody, welcome. Welcome to Return of Ritual. This is season two, so I'm really excited to have you guys. If you've been listening to season one, welcome back. If you're brand new, welcome. Um, you know, the, the whole premise behind Return of Ritual is really to help people remember who they really are and peel back all the layers of social conditioning that we have kind of inherited over the years so that we can really remember who we are and then start to do whatever that is that we're supposed to do on this planet. So that's really the, the, the mission kind of behind Return of Ritual. I think ritual and ceremony is really at the heart of allowing us to do those things. And when we look back at cultures and civilizations across the decades and millennia, we see that the cornerstone has always been ritual and ceremony. And I really believe that that's been lost in our modern society. So that's a little bit of background around the why um, behind the Return of Ritual online show. I'm your host, Amber Winston. And today I have a really neat guest. Um, she is a mover and a shaker. You know, she's got a fantastic energy. She attracts a lot of attention and she's really doing some fantastic things for the community at large. So today I would like to welcome to the show, Lauren Duke. Hello. <laughs> I like that you just called me neat. She's neat. She's neat. Well, sometimes I, I say that. this amazing, like, I need more adjectives. I love it. I love it. Like, that's a good thing to be. Like, she's pretty neat. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Thanks so, for having me. Of course. Um, I, you know, some people who are listening to this probably are familiar with you. And then there's definitely some people that are international listeners and, and others that are probably not too familiar with you. So what I'd love to do is just read your bio so that people can kind of get a deeper understanding of what you're all about um, and what you're, what you're doing on the planet. So Lauren is a writer. Uh, she's a joy recovery specialist and the founder of Gather Encinitas, a modern community center in Encinitas, California. She crafts her classes, writing workshops, and education around wellness and mental health. The centerpiece of her teachings is trauma resolution. She caters to all levels of yoga and contemplative practice and believes first and foremost that yoga is an attention practice, that everything we do should be to clarify our attention. She is known to be honest and relatable and neat <laughs> and is profoundly influenced by Buddhism, thematic experiencing, psychology, and the mind-body system. Yoga is a life and a never-ending conversation, not just weird movements and loud breathing. Expect a few swear words, some fun and uncomfortable moments, and to always come out of every class, workshop, or retreat feeling more loving than when you began. Lauren just finished her first book, Shithouse, a mm -hmm. memoir, and anticipates publication in 2021. Yep. <laughs> you know, I really want to look up the etymology of the word neat. We need to find out where that, that where, what's the evolution of that word? I added it into your bio because I think, you know, you might need to, to look it's into good. it. It's good. I love it. I love it. Um, congratulations on completing your first book, by the way. Well, it's interesting because just when you think that you're finished with something, revisions like it's just a it's a process you know just like everything else just like our evolution our practices 
Um, and I recently, I, I had some feedback from a few literary agents about putting it in past tense. And so the whole book is written in present tense. And I did that because everyone expects a book, a self-help book from me or like a yoga book from me. And this book is all narrative. It's all story. And so I really wanted to kind of stay away from the self-help, but to see if I could weave the teachings into the book without it feeling too forward self-helpy. And so my solution was present tense. Um, with that being said, now I'm putting the whole thing in past tense. So I'm going to have a lot of different copies. And as every time I take space from it, I just have more perspective. And I mean, I've probably gone over it like 200 times at this point. So it's still not finished. And until it's in publication, like that's when it's really finished. And even then you can write like, I have one teacher and she has like 10 memoirs. And so she just keeps writing memoirs you know so anyway blah 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 you get what i'm saying totally and you know i i wanted to touch on this we might as well just keep going with 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 writing and and how how as a writer you know that is a sacred ritual in itself the act of writing that creative energy that's coming through you when you write um so maybe you could just share a little bit about that and how you've kind of woven in this art, this practice of writing your memoir in your life. Like, how has that shown up? Oh my gosh, it is everywhere in my life. My main practice is writing. Um, probably even more so right now than even being in my relationship. I mean, I'm in my relationship as well, but this, this project has become my baby. Whereas a yoga practice, an asana practice used to be kind of my main daily practice. Writing is now my main daily practice. Um, I wake up every single morning and it's the first thing I do. And we're talking, I could literally be sitting there for like four hours. A lot of people can't handle that. For me, I, I can write all day. I mean, I have to get up and do things, you know, but the reality is whether it's nonfiction or it's fiction, it's still it's still somewhere nonfiction because if you can imagine it, then it somehow has been created in your consciousness at some point. Um, and so it really is a contemplative practice because every time I look at my work, it gives me an opportunity. I mean, the whole, the whole thing is about inquiry and investigation and especially good writing. It's like turning over every single stone, especially if you're writing nonfiction or you're writing a memoir like I'm writing, you're looking at every little piece of your life. So even though I went through several years of trauma therapy, I would say I wouldn't be to where I am right now without having written this book so many times that it forced me to look at every single piece of my life over and over and over again. Um, and, and just turning and looking at it from different perspectives, right? Because you, your voice is important and your perspective is important, but good writing, you can kind of see everything. And also mm -hmm. different books, you have a different tone. So like, I'm going to write another memoir after this about my um, relationship. This particular relationship in the book is going to be called Messy because that's how they really are. Um, but yeah, so anyway, that will have a different tone and inflection. You know, we'll have a different mood. It will have a different theme. So anyhow, I write for hours. It is, um, sometimes it's editing and it can be getting so 
detailed into maybe even just one paragraph, mm -hmm. constructing and deconstructing, constructing, dismantling, rebuilding a paragraph over and over again. And sometimes it's literally just verbal diarrhea because something is in my head or in my heart. And this is often how time, how, um, like any writing or any book starts, it starts off kind of like verbal diarrhea. Like, it's just like, oh my God, I got to get this out, you know? <laughs> um, so I guess other people would call it, um, what is it called? Like a train of thought. What's yeah. it called? Yeah. 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 Like your conscious train of thought. Like during Yes, thank you. So it's like, yeah. it's just like, you know, whatever from consciousness onto the page. And so in that way, I mean, I always like when, when, co-facilitating writing workshops, like I always bring the wellness and mental health factor into it. Yeah. And it's funny because like a lot, one of the women that I work with, I love her so much, but she's a fiction writer. And she's always like, oh, but it's fiction. It's like, it's not fucking fiction. If you can think it in your head, somewhere that has happened in your life. And, and we've actually talked about it. It's like fiction is almost easier to write because you don't have to claim the truth. Right. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. just like, you can actually claim like, oh, it's not true though. It's not me. And you don't have to hold yourself accountable in it. Whereas like nonfiction is like, blah, you know, real life, a reflection of you. So it's not, so it's fiction as well. But yeah, it's to really turned into my daily practice. So that's just one thing that I was really interested in talking to you about is the evolving of practices. Yeah. And so I think, okay, so let's, Let's back up a little bit because we went right into the writing, which I love. But what I'd like for you to share with us first is in your world, what is your kind of ideal morning ritual or evening ritual in an ideal state? Like how are you invoking the sacred in your daily life? So you've already shared with us, you're waking up and you're writing. Like, are there any other little rituals or ceremonies that you're doing kind of on the bookends of your day, beginning or evening? My gosh, I have so many. Um, and, and also I think it's important to, sorry, I hope I don't catch you off guard with this, but like, how do you define the sacred? How yeah. do you define the divine? You know, yeah. so that way we're on the same page about totally. that. Yeah. yeah. Well, how would you defi define the sacred? Um, for me, you know, it's all language. And so oftentimes, um, the resonance of some language lands for some people and doesn't land for other people. Like your beginning invocation, that would never be my beginning invocation, but I liked it. I appreciated it. It really brought me into nature, right? Yeah. It was so detailed and imaginative that I started to feel all this, like this swirl of the cosmic connection of everything because of all the language. Um, and so that's actually how I think about the sacred or the divine is, is our fundamental state. And so our fundamental state is really just nature's energy. And when you like go into a forest and not like a forest that's been burned down, even though that is pulsing as well, mm -hmm. uh, but like a big green, um, you know, just lush forest, you see, like, you can literally like feel the pulsing, the pulsing. It's like, it's beautiful, it's vibrant, it's energetic, it's healthy, it's vital. So for me, that's what I feel as the sacred. I don't really use the word God. Um, yep. And I actually have an aversion to that word. And again, I know it's just language mm -hmm. uh, and, and probably still has some something to do with some unresolved trauma of being forced into Catholic school, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, yeah. and ideas pushed upon me. But anyhow, so that's when I think about... Um, the sacred or the divine, I really just think about like connecting to 
my most vital energy, you know, my most fundamental state health. Yep. Beautiful. And so a couple of things that Lauren touched on, she talked about the invocation. So before I open the interviews, um, I actually open sacred space with each guest. And what that means in the, the lineage that I've studied is that we just call in the directions. So I'm simply calling in the directions. I'm calling in the power animals of each of the directions. I'm thanking the land and thanking the earth. And I'm ultimately creating a safe container for us to dialogue in. So that's one thing that she was, she was referencing when she mentioned the invocation. And I think that your definition of sacred is a beautiful one, right? The analogy with the forest, that pulsation, that feeling alive, those little micro moments of remembering that you're part of something bigger, there's something bigger that we're all a part of. Um, so I might just add that in. So when you're waking up and you're kind of moving through your day or your evening, how, what are those things that you're kind of inviting in? Or Yeah. Um, wait, so, and also just to back up here for a second. So during Amber's invocation, I actually opened my eyes just to see if she was reading something because there's so much information there. Obviously, I can tell you're really embodied in that work. Um, but anyhow, it really was beautiful. But when you go back to your recording, you're going to see that I was kind of like, she's reading something. And that's why we cut it out, everybody, because you don't want to see what we're doing. Like, No, I loved it. It, was, it really was good. And I will say that um, there was a transference of energy for me when I... Like when I walked in this room, I was a little frenetic because when I walked out of my house, I spilled like literally at 429, a glass of water on me and I was wearing a white shirt. So, and also this goes back to ritual. I wasn't paying attention. I was trying to do too many things. And so I spilled the water. Anyway, I came in here frenetic. We had the invocation, my energy settled. And you know, that's the whole idea um, that will ultimately inform the conversation, you know, and shift the energy so we can have a really honest, sweet conversation. So, um, okay. So all my, all my rituals, whoa, I do a lot of things. So, and I do a lot of things like, um, on time all the time. So consistently. Um, so when I wake up, Literally, the first thing I do is I put hot water on my face, <laughs> right? Um, and it just kind of opens up my eyes, makes me feel more alive. And I, I um, have a, I do loose leaf tea, jasmine tea. And I, I, everywhere I go in the world, I don't know if you saw this when we were in Costa Rica, but did you ever see me making my tea? I saw it in your room. Yes. I okay. Saw your, like, like, you brought the whole apparatus with the, you. No apparatus. Exactly. <laughs> like I do not, I mean, because tea is a whole other ritual, you know, mm -hmm. and it has been historically. I love, I love that tea. I make it a certain way. Um, it, I love the way that it feels in my body. I love the way that I feel after drinking it. Then I sit down and write. I have like several hours of writing. Um, and then I get up and I exercise. So, and sometimes I'll breathe before I'll do a breathe. Um, writing for me right now is kind of a meditation because I'm not thinking about anything else. There is no other things that are coming into my consciousness that are thus affecting my physiology and spinning me out and affecting my health, right? It's just like, boom, I'm just tunnel vision in that thing, clear consciousness. Uh, my exercise rituals, it could be running. And running is always done with intention for me because um, when I wasn't doing it intentionally, I ended up hurting my back. I was running with my feet turned out. So it's very deliberate. I have to run with my feet turned forward. Um, and I don't love to run. And so the whole idea the entire time is like, 
I know how this is ultimately going to make me feel. And so I'm going to do it, even if I don't want to do it. Uh, and hiking, it's just like anything in nature. And I will say that I have noticed a massive difference um, being in Ojai now, pretty much like straight for a year, my nervous system has completely transformed. Um, I was missing my connection to nature living in Encinitas. I didn't realize that because you know this for yourself, but that was, that was the normal, like this is what it is. Um, and now after I'm in Encinitas for three days, like I really start to feel my nervous system go up again. Mm -hmm. So whatever it is keeping me in nature, um, I'm, again, I'm always paying attention to my gait and my footsteps. So that's very intentional. Um, I, I practice a lot of Pilates. I don't do as much asana anymore. And it's interesting we can chat about that too, my evolution away from um, asana practice and more into something stable and more detail oriented and slow. Um, and in the evening, I usually pretty much, I have like four, 40 rituals in the morning. <laughs> and by the evening time, I really just try to let myself chill. Yeah. I, I'm not someone who has a hard time sleeping because I'm so um, physical and full on during the day, you know? So by the time I go to bed, I'm fully ready to go to sleep as well. Another thing that I've been playing with lately, I just was listening to um, a a podcast with Jay Shetty who wrote How to Be a Monk, right? It's like a new book. I think that's what it's called, How to Be a Monk. Um, but he talks about this idea of transcendental meditation, which really is just mantra meditation, but he it's used with specific mantras, but he has these um, five words. And so I've been playing around with those five words, especially if I feel like I feel anxious, you know, I feel that mm -hmm. sense of energy in my chest. I'll go to these words and the words are um, balance, calm, stillness, ease, peace. Mm -hmm. And literally when I was listening to this podcast, I was in the car, Chris was driving and I just closed my eyes and I said the words to myself. Those words have a subsequent association to them. Yeah. And when I said them to myself, like when we think of like peace and calm and balance, like you're just like, yeah. And so you, I really did feel yep. the resonance of those words and the inflection, kind of the echo of those words on my nervous system. And so I've been doing that a lot lately too, just over the last several weeks, just the language. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Those are some beautiful morning and evening. Just, it gives us a little glimpse into, you know, your existence and the life that you're creating yeah. and how you're connecting to. Yeah. I to do a lot of things. I don't, I don't doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> She's a mover and a shaker, everybody. And, and there's two things I wanted to just touch on there with what Lauren had said. Um, the first thing was Costa Rica. And so she mentioned Costa Rica and Lauren actually knows my husband and, and my husband is a yoga teacher, breath worker as well. And they co-led a yoga retreat in Costa Rica last summer. And so I went on the retreat and it was a really beautiful time for me because I really felt like I got to know Lauren on a deeper level just from being kind of in her space and taking her classes and of course I've always known her in the community but I think that for me was kind of a tipping point where I was like ah okay you know I like what she's, she's doing here she's nice uh, <laughs> she's neat <laughs> and, uh, and this is the thing that I have learned about about you Lauren it's there's people in your life that will pop up at specific times 
and they will see something in you and they'll be able to mirror or in this case in your case lauren articulate very clearly something back to you that you needed to hear in that moment and i felt that that was really pivotal for me during our time in costa rica because lauren saw something in me she has a beautiful way of being really direct about what she's seeing and it landed with me where it was like yeah i need to do some things around about my life and so i share that because she talked about how she was in Encinitas and she's moved to nature. So she's now out in Ojai, right? And I've been feeling those same feelings of this upwelling, this sense of urgency about, I need to get out of here. This isn't the place for me. I feel like a lot of people who are listening to this are resonating with that. There's yeah. just a deeper level of uncertainty or desire to get out. It's the best way I can describe it. So can you talk to us about how you were recognizing your nervous system was kind of off kilter. You uprooted your family, you found your nature and you went there. Talk to us about that because I feel like so many people are craving something similar. And I think that you can give us some little tips about yeah. that. Yeah, well, first of all, most of us feel like we can't do the things that we wanna do, that we, have our program and that we have our lives and we can't just like get up and go somewhere else and be something totally different, which is also why we suffer or be the same, but in another place. Um, and that's really, again, that's just a mindset that really just needs to be dismantled. And I think that COVID is revealing that to people because as there's a slowing down and as there's a changing of people's patterns and routines, they're starting to recognize, oh shit, I can go anywhere I want. I can do anything I want. It's me. I'm the person, right? Um, I started off with that same mentality, like, oh, I have this business and I'm so rooted in this community and my friends are here and oh my God, if I leave, everything's going to fall apart, including my life, you know? So many, do you, does that resonate? Yes, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so we started slowly, mm. you know, incrementally, piece by piece. Um, at first we just started coming here. We got inspired and I, I am telling you, I mean, there is a vortex here. There is a physical and spiritual, emotional, energetic vortex in Ojai. People come here, like I can sit at Farmer in the Cook and I cannot tell you how many conversations I hear from people. They're like, oh my God, we need to move here. And then literally like three months later, I see them here. They live here. Somehow they're wow. making here. So the Valley of the Moon, that's what Ojai means. It really, it has um, at sunset, the uh, specific topography and the way that the sun projects and reflects off the mountain creates this like blush pink mm. essence, like this whole reflection on the mountain and it's called the pink moment. And it's just, it creates this, um, uh, just this kind of pink rosy shimmer over the entire valley. So like people look different, the trees look different. I mean, it really talk about like connecting to magic and mysticism. I mean, when you're here, you can really feel it. You feel it on the ground. You, you wanna be on purpose and deliberate in a place like that, this. Encinitas, and I don't wanna hate on Encinitas because it was so beautiful and oh my gosh, it served me for so long, but it's, it's very, um, work centric it's very hustle centric it's very exercise centric like never stop moving centric 
and it's concrete. And the, unless you have, unless you're a surfer and you're going to the beach all the time, um, I mean, that's the connection to nature there. And I love that, but also we're really close to the ocean here. Um, And down there, down South, like I'm talking about getting your feet in the dirt. And that seems to be something that is hard to do in Encinitas. But so we did it really slowly. We Mm -hmm. came here, we were interested, we conspired, my husband and I, we were inspired, we planned, we manifested. The next time we came, we just looked at a house for fun. Then the next time we actually put an offer in on a house, we didn't even know at this point, like how are we even gonna get this money to buy this house? But it was still like, I mean, it's still inexpensive, relatively speaking, compared to everywhere else. But so basically we set the intention, like this is where we wanna live. And, and, and we're gonna do what we have to do to make it here. And even though it wasn't like a concrete, like three to five year plan, it pretty much was. We were like, in two years, we're gonna move here. And so even when I opened Gather, I knew that within two years, I was going to be living in Ojai. Like I knew that, but I also knew that I had to open that space um, because it was the Phoenix rising of our other space. I still was gonna be in Encinitas for a few years. And, and we still had such a massive community and our community needs that, the services and resources that Gather offers. So I just, with that whole situation, I was like, well, I'm just gonna figure it out as I go, you know? But so that's really how we do it, we did it. It's, it started with the inspiration. It moved from inspiration to intention and then from intention to manifestation to living in. You know, okay. so. Here we are. And, but also COVID is allowing, I really feel like COVID is allowing expedited manifestation. Yes. Like whatever we want, you better do it. Yep. Because I do think that what we're going to see on the other side of COVID is, um, you know, an evolution of business, an evolution of technology, probably less people doing, you know, business travel because now we're recognizing like, oh, we can just do it all through here. Of course, I also have to say that nothing can we're all co-regulating each other of course we're co-regulating each other over the internet as well we have a collective nervous system but when you're in person with something with someone like nothing will ever be able to take this the place of that but you get what i mean so i think that the technology um with zoom and you know this massive communication and connection we can have with each other is really allowing people to like move forward and, and, and create the jobs they want to create that are going to allow them to be able to go wherever they want to go and live the life they want to live. Ultimately, that's all we want. We just all want to live the life we want to live and we want to be happy. The issue is that we're not doing that. So we're not happy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Ritual. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, yeah. and so now I want to talk about something that I think comes up, right? Because there's people who I'm sure are relating to this, right? They're like, oh my gosh, I have that same feeling, whether it's starting a new business, it's leaving a job, it's moving to a different place, whatever that might be. You're feeling it, you have the intention, you're, you're wanting to make those steps. But maybe, for example, you are in a relationship and you have to then get your partner involved. And I think what you said so beautifully was you conspired with your partner, right? So you conspired with Chris and you set the intentions and you did these things. Um, how do you, how do you work through resistance, right? Because I think that COVID is a great opportunity for exposing the possibilities that we have, 
But then there's going to be people who are deeply rooted in whether that's their social conditioning, their fear structures, their traumas, whatever those things are that are keeping them stuck in that cycle that you're talking about of just not being happy and suffering when really they could make a change and do what they really want to do. So how have you um, moved through maybe your own resistance or your own conditioning or worked through some traumas or how has ritual and ceremony ultimately helped you get through some of these things and accomplish some of these goals that you, you've had? Well, the first part I want to touch on because you started with partner, mm-hmm. with resistance, like how do you work through that with your partner? I'm no like relationship expert, but <laughs> I will say that it's really important to not have a partner that you're going to constellate each other's wounds no matter what you know but to be in partnership with with someone who can help you heal your wounds and some in the places where you have resistance that other person sees that there's a tenderness and and like a little bit of a wounding there and that that person can be soft and tender and gentle with you in that arena that's really important you know, my sister's actually about to go through a divorce and she was in a partnership with someone who really constellated deeply and like hideously her wounds and not just, we're talking each other, you know, they both had a, a, a part in that. So um, I think that's really important. You know, if you're trying to get someone else on board, the best thing that you can do is live by example. And the more you, I am so inspired by Chris, like, I mean, you've hung out with him. He's a saint. He's a sage. Like who he is without even trying is who most people want to be that they go to like monk school to be able to be even close to what he is, you know? So I feel really fortunate to have a partner as tender and gentle and understanding um, as him that helps me move through, you know, all of those, all of those things. But okay. So, so go back to kind of the ending of that question. Cause there was a lot in that question. It was something about like ceremony and ritual and yeah. So, so I think what you just shared was really beautiful because it's a reminder for all of us that if we're in partnership and we're wanting to make some sort of change, that when you or your partner is exhibiting moments of resistance or self-doubt or doubting the whole process or just anything that, that is preventing you from conspiring together and moving forward together, what Lauren, what you said so beautifully was that recognize that that is like a vulnerability almost in them and then come to them with that really like gentle love loving like right like like they're like a two-year-old or a three-year-old I mean what are you gonna like beat a dog while it's down you know here's and but this is what happens I feel like these are the big epic fails in relationship is like someone's not stoked on something and then the other person like come in comes in and constellates it and then it ends up being the dissolution of relationship when really like we all just need to be met with love and you know maybe like chris and i were so different and so i think that's what why it works so well as well because we have different wounds we have different qualities in our personality that complement each other um every other partnership i've had the people were a lot like me Mm. really difficult so (laughs) if you're in one of those relationships i have no advice for you because i failed at them I love it. And the second, part, the second part of my question was for you to just maybe share like how, how you've worked through some of your wounding or your traumas, basically how ritual and ceremony has helped you along your own evolutionary healing journey, your own kind of path that you've walked. Like how, how has the ritual and the ceremony kind of been that? Yeah. Cool. Well, 
So when I think of um, ritual, ritual is, you know, something done with a sense of deliberateness rather than some sort of habituation. Trauma is reinforced through habituation, right? So we get um, something happens, there's a trigger, and then every time that trigger comes up, we keep responding to it in the same way. And so it continues to reinforce that trigger and strengthen the response in our nervous system because ultimately trauma is a nervous system it's a nervous system game it's a nervous system response right it's like the nervous system goes up and we don't allow it to go back down and then there's something happening in the nervous system what we really want is this right um to be able to pendulate up and down with our nervous system side to side with our nervous system so uh to be able to work through some of the tra traumas and wounding, like you have to be really mindful. And so that's the, that's the hard part because for most of us, these wounds are so deep. We don't even realize where they are. We don't even recognize what they are, that, that it's basically a blip in our nervous system mm -hmm. affecting our physiology affecting the way that we respond to every single thing in our environment, every relationship in our environment. So in order to, it's a habit, fuck. Trauma is, is basically an unconscious habit. I've never even heard anyone say that, but as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, that's yeah. totally what it is, you know? Um, so the point of ritual would also be to make the unconscious conscious. When you make mm -hmm. the unconscious conscious, you can never go back. You can't unremember what you now know, right? And going through therapy to one, the first time someone told me I had PTSD, I cried for days, but I cried because I was, I was grieving why I had it, the things that had happened, because for me, it was complex trauma. It was like a life a life of trauma and it had a lot to do with my, my, my family and my mother. And so I was grieving, but I was also so grateful that finally someone gave me language to something I did not understand. Like I didn't understand what was happening to me. And every time there was like, I had multiple triggers, but one of them, I had been in this car accident with Elia. And after that, I couldn't even drive my car. And I was so embarrassed. Actually, I didn't even want to be in a car. And so when I would get in the car, I would start panicking. And I didn't, I didn't know what it was and I didn't know how to stop it. And I was so ashamed because I was a yoga teacher and I, I had all of these tools that I did not, because I didn't understand what trauma was, I didn't know how to use the tools, right? Because when I had learned the yoga to tools, I had learned it under the umbrella of yoga philosophy, which unfortunately, in my experience, was so fucking out there and woo-woo. And like, I liked it because it was all magical. It was so not practical. I had no idea when shit hit the fan how to breathe right. or why I needed to breathe like that. Mm -hmm. So in order to resolve trauma, you have to be so deliberate and conscious about your behaviors and about the reinforcement of those behaviors. So what I had to start doing, because it's not like there's no silver bullet, there's no pill that you can take to resolve trauma unless you want to, you know, that's why so many people end up on, on opioids because it helps them turn off mm -hmm. and just numb themselves. Uh, there's no um, 
cure besides you doing the work yourself. That was also why I cried for so long after I was given that diagnosis because she told me only you can undo it. And I was like, fuck, this is really, I'm so scared. I'm so afraid of dying, which is, you know, my trigger was like, we, you get it. We all have it. Whether it's like you get in an elevator and you have claustrophobia and you feel like you're dying, right? It's like, you actually feel like that, even though and it's trauma for most people. Right. Um, so in order to decondition and recondition your nervous system and your mind, you actually have to do very specific things. And those specific things are, would have to be curated for each person. Yep. It would depend on what is going on with each person's nervous system in order to untether that programming from that person's nervous system. So like for me, when I started, um, like every time I got in a car, I have this breath that I call the 405 breath because that would be, that was one of my triggers, like driving through LA as soon as there was traffic, because that was a, a trigger from an association from the accident. Um, you feel like you're out of control, which we're all out of control. We find out <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. trauma is also the realization of that. Um, and I would have to start doing really intentional things. I would be doing visualizations. I would be doing anything that I had learned to calm my physiology down, right? Because trauma is this, it's not an event. It is the way the event lives inside your nervous system. Okay. Mm -hmm. So at what goes up must go back down. So the energy and the, um, the hormones secreted by your endocrine system bring you up. We've been conditioned not to calm down, not to jump around and shake it out, not mm. to allow that energy to release, but to be still, don't look weird, don't scream, don't it's shake, not. which is what you need to do. You actually need to be like a fucking lion and let it out. So that way all that energy has somewhere to go. Wow. You know, so anyway, that's all like my work with Peter Levine, which is the, what Kimberly Johnson, that training was her training as well. So Peter Levine wrote Waking the Tiger. That book blew my fucking mind. And then I've been doing that training for the last few years, but another resource too, for anyone with trauma, and that's also yoga and meditation related is Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keeps the Score, who is another teacher that I did a, a year long program with. Amazing. And I'll link to those um, in the show notes. Those are some great resources. And, you know, it reminds me of a story that I, that I can relate to in where I think I also have a little PS, PTSD. I had a very difficult coach in high school and he was like a drill sergeant style and anything you did was never good enough. Your kicks were not high enough. You were not in the best shape ever. Like, really, when I look back, like, probably, I probably should not have been dancing or working for this man ever. Like, it, it was bad now that I've come to terms with it. But he had this saying that if you're not 15 minutes early to rehearsal, you're late. Yeah. And yeah, that has there. traumatized me to this day where I have this anxiety around, like, starting of something and, like, getting there. And and all the feels like come up and then I'm nervous. Like if I'm going to be late because I'm going to be yelled at and publicly humiliated. And so for me to work through that trauma that I've clearly recognized, particularly in my relationships, because if anybody knows Luke, my husband, he is like, the flow. What? 
He's chronically late too. He's chronically late and he's go with the flow. So like that is co constantly triggering me. So what I've started- I don't think to he do realizes it, by the way. <laughs> no, that's a whole other topic. I mean, that is a whole other topic. Um, what I've started to do is consciously show up late. And it scares the shit out of me. And I have to deal with all the feelings and then use all the tools um, and have everybody stare at me because I'm late. And, and that's just been something that I've recognized over the years, like why I was getting so bent out of shape about the fact that we were going to be late. Like, you know, does it really matter that you're going to be late? But it did for me because I recognized I was holding a trauma. So I love that you gave some resources um, for people. Well, wait, to just on that note with what you just said, like mm -hmm. one, the best thing you could have done is do the opposite thing than you normally do, which is show up late. That's like right. the best thing you could do. Okay. Um, because you have to break the pattern. So that's what I'm saying. You know, it's like you have to, so it's really hard because it's almost like your physiology is telling you to run and to not do this thing. And then you can't listen to it and you have to do the opposite. That's how you start to decondition it. Right. Um, and that's really challenging. And also like deep trauma resolution is really contemplating the part of what the real issue is. So you recognize for yourself that the issue is not about tardiness. It's this other thing that made you feel like if you weren't on time, you weren't good enough. Right. And so the deeper wound is I'm not good enough, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so part of the somatic experiencing work is somatic, soma meaning like of the body, but so, cause your body is carrying it, right? So part of the deeper, um, before I, I had this, these, a tooth taken out in October and like, you know, part of one of my traumas is going into a hospital and being put under anesthesia. And I had never had that. And I had it last year. I was so fucking terrified. I literally thought I was going to die beforehand. I was crying and I was laying in my bed and I went back to the first time that I was in a hospital. I was held down and I had to go, I had to replay the story. Um, I had to make more sense because my mother was there and she said, oh, just hold her down. So I had to make sense about what that was. And the deeper core wound for me was I felt alone. And if you think about animals and nature, what happens if a child, if a, like a baby cub is born and it's left by its mother in the wild? Like what happens? Doesn't survive. It dies. So yeah. the deeper wound for everyone, when you unravel all of these, the core wound is all about death. I'm not good enough. What happens when you're not good enough? Maybe you don't get fed. Maybe you don't get housed. Maybe you fucking die. Like it's all, it all really comes. No, honestly. Yeah. Really, so when I went into that core wound and I started untethering and trying to make sense of that wound and forgiving my mother and then recognizing the doctor just listened to my mom and my mom just didn't know, I started to recognize like, what did I really mean? I needed to not be alone. And so I started repeating and I was bawling tears. So I was having this whole inner dialogue, which is the somatic experiencing work, but I did it on myself, which like I had never done before. I had done it on other people. But I, I was like, this is the only way I'm gonna get through this without like fainting. I wasn't even gonna make it into the doctor's office if yeah. I didn't do this. And so I started going through the work and I started repeating to myself, 
I am not alone anymore. I am not alone anymore. And I was just bawling. I mean, Chris was like watching this, like I'm having this whole experience in my head. I mean, it's making me like, you know, have tears in my eyes even thinking about it. But like, that is how you unravel trauma. And that doesn't happen unless you are so willing mm. to be so like, like deep and deliberate and on purpose and intentional and aware of your deeper behaviors, your unconscious behaviors. Um, it's really hard. So anyway, if anyone wants to do some really fucking hard work, heal your trauma. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. Thank you for, for sharing Lauren and being so, so vulnerable about a personal, you know, story and on how you use all of these skills that you are, you know, you're very well educated on to kind of help. And that's what this is all about, right? Like that we are showing up, we're being accountable. We're, we're, we're working on the deeper layers that we all have. Um, and then coming together in community, right? So being connected to communities, connected to resources, um, so that we can support one another as we all are going through this wild transformation. And that's so important. I think that reminder of um, the social network, and we're not talking about the social network online, because what that's doing is creating a deeper and deeper divide and more and more isolation because, oh, you, you have a you know, you feel depressed. Oh, I'm just going to go online and look up what that means and look up the resources and look at the, but really how we've, we're all co, we've co-evolved with each other and none of us have survived without each other. And yep. if we don't come back together to share, like for me, I don't take, um, like I'll never just go to a doctor, just like random doctor that I found on the internet. I will only go to someone that was referred to me through someone that I deeply trust. Um, so I, I just feel like we, we have to um, come back to, you know, this place of, of being together and sharing with one another, because that's where we're really going to get, well, that's where we're just constellating each other, you know? So mm -hmm. I feel like that's being lost with technology because there's just so much information that we can find out on our own. Yeah. Um, but really, we should all be gathering our resources and then sharing them with each other because this is what we've been doing since time immemorial. Yeah. You know? Beautiful. And I, and I really do get the sense that this is where we're all heading, right? Like people who are listening to this are, they're invested, right? They want to be in the communities. They want to share the resources. And so I think what you've done so beautifully with Gather and Sunitas and some of your maybe future pro projects is creating that platform for people. So can you just tell people who aren't familiar with what Gather is and maybe some of your future projects that you're working on? Like, how are you fostering that sense of community for, for people? Yeah. So, well, Gather is the phoenix rising from like four other yoga, yoga projects. And when we created Gather, I was very clear that we did not need another yoga studio. I was already um, shifting away from asana because I had gotten injured from um, pretty much just overstretching all my boundaries in every area of my life. And also physically was a reflection of what I was doing, you know, out in my life which makes sense that now I have come to like Pilates and things that are really like micro movement so I can be more boundaries, you know, boundaried and, and um, stable. 
but gather, I recognize that we didn't need another yoga studio. We needed a place to, to, to come together and learn and party and have fun. And I mean, our tagline at Gather Encinitas is have more fun, you know, and I realize like I've been thinking about this a lot because when, if you think about trauma and it's been defined to me or broken down to me in a lot of ways, but one of the ways is like, like an area, um, like in those, the areas that you don't have life, like that you're not living your life. And if you're blocked in certain areas, you can't experience joy there, you know? So it's mm -hmm. almost like the re resolution of trauma is, is the recovery of joy, which is, so when I think about all the things that I've been doing, um, like how do they all connect the writing, the retreats, the yoga studio or the yoga, the, the studio as well. It's like, creating a place and ways for people to express themselves, have fun, connect, because that's what I realized we really were needing because it, at, at Bergamot, you know, it was a yoga studio, but then every once in a while, somehow, because it was a venue, they would be like, like, go ahead, use it for the night. And so I would just like throw some fun event and we, everyone just had so much fun because none of us want to go to the bar anymore. You know, we're just like, we've, we may want to have a drink, may, we may or may not want to have a drink, but we don't want to go to the bar. And we don't want to go anywhere that feels um, like energetically gross, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we want to be around people that are like-minded. And, and sometimes, I don't mean to be judgmental here, but when we go to a bar, it's like, it's just like a different way. There's just like, there's a different energy at a bar. You know, yeah. it's like where I used to go a long time ago before I was, anyway, it doesn't really matter, but um, cause I don't want to be judgmental on bars, but I did want, you know, I, I did notice that the coming together of all of these people that were really like-minded, having a drink, having a kombucha, socializing, playing music, like people would just come to life and yeah. then they would come to yoga afterwards and they'd be like, Oh my God, that was so fun. You know? And that's where we've really, um, I feel like we've been having a, like a dissolution in like it's, we've gotten so serious, you know, everything is motivated towards this goal of like doing this big thing with your life. And we're trying to like get from here to there. We're, and we're so serious that like in between we're forgetting that we really still need to like live our lives and enjoy ourselves because if we can't do it in this bridge right here, we're fucking not going to do it when we finally reach the goal because it's all, conditioning right you know this my sister i'm sure she's gonna listen actually she won't she probably never even listen to this but her partner um she doesn't listen to anything i do it has nothing to do with you <laughs> we're still working out our sisterhood me and her um but her partner told her that she's not joyous and it was really interesting i asked her what if she thought that was true and she said yes she's been really serious like yeah. she's been so serious and it's just hijacked her for joy. Mm -hmm. and so, you know, I was just talking to Chris, like, I just have so much fun. My whole life revolves around like fucking with my dog or messing with my friends or like jumping out of the closet and scaring my husband. So I feel like the best thing that we could do is just have fun. That's yeah. like, that's like the best thing we could do for ourselves, you know, is have a good time. And again, I, when I go back to what's our, what's the sacred, what's the divine, it's that like, 
pulsing energetic aliveness that we see in the you know epicenter of nature and when you're like living your best life that's where you are and honestly it's what's going to make you the most healthy yes <laughs> you know? physically mentally emotionally all on all levels yeah oh i mean <laughs> sorry i just go off sometimes <laughs> I know that's your niece. Um, so, no, I think I think that this is so inspiring to talk about because when we when we really get down to the nuts and bolts, it's so simple, right? It's so simple. Being conscious, maybe a little bit more of of how you're moving through your day and how you're invoking the sacred in your daily life. How you you might have to consciously change the behavior a little bit, right? To be a little bit more childlike or to be pulling pranks on people. That's not going to be everybody's no, personality and, style, right? And it but also wasn't mine. Like I would say that through my entire twenties, because I was dealing with the PTSD thing, I think that I, and I think because of my childhood, I, I've always had like a fun, loving, spirited personality, but when you're traumatized and when you're de like depressed or anxious and overwhelmed and stressed, those things are blocked. Your spirit, your energy, your vitality, your funness, all of that is blocked. And so I would say that probably just until the last few years, like I, 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 I also was serious. And so I think I'm just coming out of that. And, you know, I'm in a very privileged position to be able to even say like, yeah, I get to just kind of live my life right now and really enjoy it. So I'm very aware of that privilege as well. I feel super grateful. Yeah, and that's a really, and thank you for, for sharing that because I'm sure that there's, you know, the busy mom, right, with that's what I mean. kids at home and like, you know, how are they, how could they ever even entertain the idea of to have more fun, right, when they like can barely take care of their kids. So I appreciate you saying that, yeah. but I think that there is an underlying nugget of truth that, that people can sit with and just look at you know, maybe focus on the traumas first and like unwinding some of these traumas to allow the joy, the little glimpses of joy to start to come in and fill those darker spots that have kind of been blocking you from. That's what I mean, it's yeah. like you have to wake up all the places that have gone to sleep, you know? Yeah. And so like, I think about um, my one girlfriend who we both know, we're both close with, um, at the beginning of the year, she her, her, um, we were very fast friends, by the way, we just, me and my friend Daniela and her, um, her new year's resolution was more joy. And mm -hmm. it's funny because like, she told me that I, I'm basically that in her life. So like I come and like take her, I'll come to town and I'll just like take her away for a few days. And like, all we do is laugh our asses off. So again, I also recognize I'm in a, I'm in a position where I don't have children. I'm not in the middle, but this is part of what I'm seeing just with my age group. Like people are in their householders and right. householding is really challenging. And I'm not seeing, I honestly can say that I only have one friend, like family that I think is doing it. They're like killing it. I, I actually don't like that term, but they're, um, they're doing it really well. You know, they're just having so much fun. And they're, of course, they're also in a, a very privileged situation, but I'm just watching so many people struggle right now. Mm -hmm. Most of my friends, for sure. Um, and 
I've chosen to not have children. <laughs> so at least right now, who knows that could change and evolve, you know? So, um, and that's partly why is I really, I really want to, I just, that's my choice. I yeah. have a dog. My dog is my child, you know? I know, Cookie's the best. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanna just bring this home for people so that, you know, whether they're, whether they're feeling like, okay, this is all great in theory. I'm, I'm really like on board with the theory, but when I think about my life and the practicality of my life, whether it's something that we talked about in the beginning, which is maybe moving or quitting a job or making a big life change, or something that we've just touched on, being more joyful in our life and just enjoying and having more fun. How, how can we make that really tangible for somebody? Like what would be your little bit of advice for somebody who maybe is feeling underwater, yeah. given all of the uncertainty that our society is going under? What would be that like one thing that, that is bite-sized for people to kind of yeah. grab onto? Well, so this is more macro, but then people can address it in as many micro ways as they want. But the, the, the deeper, the deeper root is that until you can calm your nervous system down, you don't know what you really need. So if you're making, um, impulsive choices and because you're uncomfortable and so you're like, I'm going to move. Um, you're not addressing what you really need. You're just running. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's why, like for you from experience, how did you feel when you went to Costa Rica on the, on the other side, on the other side, how was your nervous system? Amazing. I was like vibrant, but did you feel calm? Totally. Yeah. So relaxed, mellow, just kind of like, I just dropped down. So when you can calm your nervous system down, and that can be through um, a breathing practice, which I think is probably the most expedited one, to be totally honest. And, and with between our breath collective, and I have a few other um, resources that I go to, that's probably the quickest way in like five or 10 minutes to turn things around because you don't know what you really need if you're frenetic. So you have to calm your nervous system down the yoga is an attention practice. I mean, that's why I got so intoxicated with it. I didn't understand really what it was at the time. I couldn't put my finger on, I couldn't articulate it. But what it was doing is it was bringing me all together between the movements. Like my mind was focusing on one thing at a time for 90 minutes and then my body calmed down. Of course, I didn't know what that was when I was 18 and 19 years old. I was just like, oh my God, I feel like I'm on like ecstasy or something. But that's our natural state. So our natural state is that really peaceful, ecstatic, you know, just that's our natural state. So mm. if you want to make any good choices for yourself, first you have to calm the fuck down. Breathing, yoga, maybe it's a run just to burn off some energy, anything to help focus your mind on one thing at a time, which is the hallmark of all of these contemplative practices, then you'll be able to listen to what you really need. And when you listen to what you really need, then you can actually engage with it with intention and be able to go to where you want to go. But if you're all over the place, you just can't even figure out where to begin. Mm -hmm. thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. I think those are some really great resources and I'll link to our breath collective as well. That's a 
online breathing community where you can yeah, and gather because we have all of our public classes up on our Instagram feed and on yep. our website as well. And we'll, we'll link to that as well. So you guys can get going or just a simple, like get out in nature and go for a quick run, you know, move, move the, move the body, move the energy. I think but it's move it, but it has to be conscious because if yep. you're moving the whole time and you're thinking about something else that's spinning out your physiology, like it really has to be devotional. So it's yes. like, it could be like you're running in the dirt and your feet are like, you're actually like, oh, wow, I feel my feet. Oh, I'm pulling my belly back and staying really connected to my core. It has to be intentional. Intentional. And that's the whole, the whole premise of the ritual, right? Being very conscious that this is, yeah, I thank you for reinforcing that. Yeah. We, we need to hear that because so much of what we do with our phones and technology, it's so unconscious. So thank you for that reminder and that invitation. Yeah. Um, Lauren, how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about what you're offering, community events, or when your book's coming out, or anything yeah. like that? Yeah. Um, okay. So my website is in the process right now. It's laurendollyduke.com, and that's D-O-L-L-I-E. I'll be finished with it by the time this podcast is up. I mean, this is a podcast, right? Yeah. Um, but it has video. So laurendollyduke.com, D-O-L-L-I-E is Dolly. And then all on there, I'll have all my events, retreats, all that kind of stuff. Um, we are probably going to do our Costa Rica retreat next year with me and Luke. Um, so Luke is Amber's husband. She'll be there. Uh, <laughs> so you can find out about that. My Portugal retreat is already sold out. But we do all sorts of writing stuff. And so if you go to my website or you go to Gather Encinitas's website, you'll be able to just find out what I'm doing. And you can follow us on social as well at gatherencinitas.com or my own, which you'll find. Perfect. And I'll link to all those resources. So you guys can find them on yeah. the landing page. And so I want to say one last thing on the trauma resolution stuff. Um, it's, it is, it's such nuanced work and I highly recommend it's like so many people come to me and they're like, I don't even know where to begin. And I remember, I totally remember being there. Um, I am not someone who facilitates somatic experiencing at this point. I still have another year. It's a three year, three year program. Um, but I have a ton of resources. So I have like an amazing EMDR therapist. So I just have so many resources between books, which will at least help inform you about what's going on and really understanding what's going on is the beginning of healing. Yes. Um, so hit me up and I will give you any resources you need, which is kind of the, um, you know, the impetus of, of driving gather forward too, is just making sure that people have resources to take care of themselves and be okay. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you for, for sharing all of those resources. Um, and, and I think what, what's so beautiful about this work and a lot of the shamanic work is that they're very complementary, right? So you can, you can have a somatic experience and do a lot of that work, and then you can really work with the energetic body through some of the shamanic ways as well. So, um, that's something that you tag team, right? Like talk therapy, for example, is fantastic. It's a great starting point. You can talk a lot of things through, but what I love to do is partner talk therapy with energy medicine to really then move through your physical body, yeah. whatever those traumas yeah. are. So, well, and that was the whole idea with, so again, let's go back to somatic experiencing, somatic meaning of the body and experience of the body, because this stuff is living at a body level. The issue with talk therapy is it's so cerebral and there's not enough spirit. And then the issue with body work is it's so physical, but there's not enough. Yep. And so there's somatic experiences kind of somewhere in the middle. Um, but also because that work is so cerebral to go to, you know, go do a shamanic journey or go do 
these rites of passage or go, it's like you're connecting to your own mysticism, which connects you to kind of like your, again, your natural state, nature, the, your animals, you're, you're just like your primal state. So I think all of that is important. Like when you get to in your head, it's just like, holy shit, you know? Yes. But sometimes people are so out there and they're not here at all. And so it's all really about, and this is the life of yoga, somewhere in the middle. Yep. How yep. do we find that? I don't know. It takes a lot of life. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I've talked about this before on other, on other um, episodes that I talk about the four levels of, of healing or perception. Um, in the shamanic lineage, which, you know, the first one is, is serpent, right? So the South, that direction, it's your physical, so your body. And then the West Jaguar, that's your emotional body. So that's where maybe a lot of like the talk therapy comes in the South being more like diet, your, your physical body, your health. And then you move up to the North and that's your, your, your soul level, right? Like what's happening on your soul level. And then the East, the highest level is your spirit. So like how, what's happening on that level. And so the, the shaman is able to dance between those different levels and you can never heal something in the level you're in. So if you've got a physical ailment, it's great to address the physical, but you go up a level and you look at what's the emotional attachment to the physical. You go up another level and you clear things up. Absolutely. So yeah, I think it's fantastic work. Lauren, yeah. thank you so much for you. all of your wisdom and for sharing so many great resources and stories and insights and just realness. Yeah. And neatness. Neat. I can't get enough. Cool. <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in, you guys. Um, be thank sure you guys. to check uh, the next episode and leave us a comment.